Hi, and welcome to Seen and Heard, industry updates for the modern dairy family. I'm Melissa Lima, your North Coast and Organic Field Services representative, bringing you this week's episode. Today, we're going to hear from Paul Souza, our Director of Regulatory and Environmental Affairs, about a couple of issues, including the tricolored blackbird nesting season, which is coming up, as well as the upcoming AMP application period for CDFA's Office of Environmental Farming. We'll also hear from Tiffany LaMandola, our awesome economist with Blimling and Associates with a market update for this week. And on tap for you in the next couple of weeks, we have a couple of really good episodes, chock full of information about the CalSavers program, different phone apps that can help dairy producers in their marketing and risk management activities, and a special guest dairyman on the podcast in a couple of weeks to talk a little bit about the unique way that their farm operates in California's Central Valley. We hope you enjoy today's episode. We'll jump right in with Tiffany. Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our communities safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pge.com safety. Hi, folks. Hope you had a great week. It was a wild one in our markets. You know, we started this uh, holiday-shortened week with a couple key U.S. dairy reports on the dairy markets. We got cold storage and a milk production report. The milk production report, I would say, landed pretty bullish to the market. Uh, Output was down by a larger amount than most expectations. For the U.S., we were down 1.6% year-over-year. That was the largest decline since 2004. Probably most importantly was... uh, the cow numbers, which declined for an eighth consecutive month, we're now down about 140,000 head from the peak last May. And um, USDA reported the number of licensed dairies declined by about 6% last year. That's a little um, less than the five-year average of down 7%. Uh, one thing to note, I would say, as Calif- as it pertains to California, uh, also down by 1.9%, a little bit more than expectations. However, keep in mind, last January was a really robust uh, month of output. So expectations were that we would see a decline, just if anything, um, not able to beat last year's uh, big numbers. So lower milk production in the last few months, no surprise that we also built inventories uh, for the month at a slower than average pace uh, for both cheese and butter. Uh, Butter inventories in particular off to a pretty slow start. I would say that report was also supportive for the butter markets. Uh, Probably neutral on cheese because even though inventory build was slower than normal, uh, we are still up a little over 3% in cheese inventories uh, year over year. We thought that was enough excitement uh, and then we heard of um, Russia's invasion of Ukraine later in the week. Uh, Certainly that sent almost every market into a tizzy. Crude oil rose as high as $100 a barrel. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was down by more than 800 points at one point on Thursday. However, staged a massive rebound. Grain futures were also really shaky, limit down at certain points throughout the day. Uh, Certainly the conflict over there could disrupt some key shipments of staple crops and definitely spurred additional concerns about food inflation. Uh, By Friday, however, 
Uh, markets were kind of <laughs> back down again on grains. And also after seeing limit up moves in dairy, we saw limit down in certain spots for Friday. So extremely volatile week. All in all, the spot markets, uh, we lost a little bit on blocks, cheddar blocks to 194.50, down four and a quarter cent. Butter down 10 and a quarter cents to 258.75. And barrel cheese down three and a half cents to $1.90. Uh, Nonfat was the only market to gain a little, up a penny on the week to $1.86. So certainly all eyes on next week and uh, what continues. Um, over in Russia and Ukraine will probably be key, um, most likely keeping you know the the markets on edge. Please feel to reach out without any, any reach out with any questions. Thank you. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. to welcome back to Seen and Heard, our Director of Environmental and Regulatory Affairs, Paul Souza. Welcome back, Paul. Thank you, Melissa. Uh, always a great opportunity to um, update our members on what's going on, uh, kind of a little quick chat and uh, get our information, uh, the latest information to our members. So always glad to be on. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And so, Paul, you and I talked a little before the recording. You have a couple topics to cover today of interest to producers. And I think we'll start out with um, some information you have about the tricolored blackbird. Always a fun yeah. topic. <laughs> yeah, always. Uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's that time of year. Uh, this is a seasonal thing. Um, nothing is really changed from past years, but, uh, you know, this hasn't been on dairy producers radar for a year. And so I thought I'd uh, bring it up again and just do a reminder uh, in case I'm calling somebody in a couple of weeks, um, telling them about the tricolored blackbirds. Um, this educational campaign that we've done, I've tried you know, to write articles in our update and uh, be on the podcast. And we've held actually per, uh, meetings in person years ago. Uh, really helps when, you, when somebody has the tricolored blackbird in their field, it's nice to start the conversation from a place of, you know, they know what's going on rather than, you know, what right. bird, what are you talking about? So yeah. um, I'm, I'm always trying to, you know, reach out and uh, let people know what's going on. Uh, and then as individuals have to deal with this, it's it's a lot easier to deal with it if you know what the issue is. Definitely. So this bird is listed as a threatened species under the California Endangered Species Act. Um, that happened a few years ago at a uh, Fish and Wildlife Commission meeting. Um, that I attended and spoke out against the listing. I really don't think that was necessary. I don't think the bird was going extinct. It certainly had some challenges, but uh, the population was actually kind of starting to bounce back at that point. Uh, and, the, and farmers have done, you know, just the tremendous um, work, um, Western United, you know, getting funding and working with Audubon of California. We've done a lot of good work that I think is helping to protect that species. And it really wasn't necessary, but the bird got listed anyway as threatened. Mm -hmm. So. Um, that makes it unlawful to um, harm, you know, or kill uh, the bird. And so 
These things nest in dairy forage fields uh, in this time of year, starting here uh, very shortly. This year, we actually think that nesting may be um, a little bit you know, advanced or sooner than typical because of the drought conditions we're experiencing. So we expect birds to start nesting any day now. Um, as usual, funding is available uh, from USDA NRCS to offset some of the cost of delaying harvest. Uh, we've also got some funding from the California Department of Fish and Wildlife to help uh, offset you know, any gaps in that funding or any issues that come up. Uh, so there is funding for dairy producers, which makes my role in reaching out to dairies that are affected by this um, you know, palatable. If that wasn't the case, I would have a difficult time being engaged into calling and telling a dairy producer, hey, you can't harvest that field and you know that just how it is. Uh, this way I call them and say, hey, look, there's a threatened bird nesting in your fields, but um, you know, NRCS has funding connect with NRCS uh, and they'll help get funding to help offset some of that cost and a significant portion of the cost of having to delay funding. So the Department of Fish and Wildlife and others are starting to be out in the field, starting to scout and look for colonies. Um, these birds tend to nest in the same general area from year to year, and that's typically from Merced County to Kern County. Um, you know, producers that have been affected by this in the past are likely to have colonies again, and if they're not on their property, they're likely to be on a neighbor's property. Right. Uh, they very much are in neighborhoods, um, probably within two to three miles of where they've nested in the past. So, you know, if your neighbor had a, a colony last year, that's a real probability that at some point in the future, they could be nesting in your field when your field looks ideal to them. They really like triticale uh, as their favorite crop. Uh, wheat also works for them. Um, and also weedy crops with like um, malva or um, mustard, uh, some very um, stiff weeds that they can build their nests on the stem. They build their nests elevated off the ground um, right. on some foliage that's you know, a little bit stiffer that they can um, you know, hang on. That They don't like oats or things that are gonna blow in the wind and blow over. And so um, that's what they're looking for. They like dairies because they do um, go to the dairy and get grain, uh, they need water. Uh, and then they need insects for their young. They're looking for a place that has all of those within a short distance of a field. And um, dairies tend to be one of their favorite locations. Um, if dairy producers have questions on this, they can feel free to reach out to me at the WUD office uh, or the contact information that Melissa leaves at the end of the uh, podcast. I'm happy to answer questions. Um, we have a, a team of us that works together. Um, Western United Dairymen, Dairy Cares, Audubon of California, NRCS, um, and now the California Dairy Research Foundation has also joined that partnership. And I've been designated as the contact. Um, if it is a one member, so the, the folks that are out in the field, let's say Department of Fish and Wildlife, they spot birds on a, on a dairy. They're not supposed to contact the dairy. They're supposed to contact me and say, hey, we found birds at you know, the corner of this road, the nearest dairy is so-and-so dairy. If they're a member of Western United and we have a contact for them, I would give them a call and let them know, hey, th this is the situation. Uh, please get a hold of NRCS and start working on an application. Uh, but if you have other questions, I'm always happy to answer them. And uh, that's pretty much it for the tricolored blackbird. Yeah, Paul, just a couple of thoughts. Um, if, if we find that birds are nesting on a dairy that's not a Western member, do we still provide that courtesy to them? Do we refer them to their trade association? How does that work? Because I know there are probably a few dairies out there that are members. Yeah, and that happens every year. Um, we do work with others. So one, I would work with the other trade associations, uh, check if they're a member of theirs. 
if not, and, and or maybe I have the contact information. It's also happened that, um, you know, they're not a member of Western, but I happen to have, you know, somebody's cell phone number. I will call them if I have that contact information um, or if I can easily get it. Um, the other way, uh, and we've kind of set up this uh, response plan is to reach out to their milk processor. Um, if they're not a member of Western, they're not a, milk, a member of one of the other trade associations, uh, but they ship milk to CDI, you know, we'll give CDI a call and say, hey, uh, your member, you know, has this issue going on and we will reach out to them that way. Definitely is a secondary way of reaching out, but everybody ships their milk somewhere. Um, and so that is another way that we do uh, reach out because, um, you know, these things can't be left behind. It's, it's not on my part, but, you know, Department of Fish and Wildlife, um, they're not going to be lenient because they weren't a member of Western and I didn't have, happen to have their cell phone number. Um, you know, those dairies get into issues and it's best that they're aware of, um, you know, what's going on. So we have developed that protocol for how to get in touch with the dairy. Perfect. So all those dairies out there can kind of rest easy. If you're not a member, but you have this issue, you're still going to find out about it. Nobody's going to leave you hanging. But yeah. another good incentive to be a Western United member. Um, um, and then, Paul, you mentioned that the birds are nesting a little earlier this year. I'm seeing that a lot where we're at kind of the migratory patterns are a little bit different because of the drought and the, the heat we've been having in California. Um, does that mean the birds will be, the baby birds will be fledging a little earlier and maybe folks can avoid having to waste those crop areas where they're nesting? Do we know anything about that yet? Yes. Uh, so there's about a 45 day period from when they begin nesting until right. the baby birds are able to fledge the nest. So the sooner they nest, um, it's true that there's less likely to be conflict. The problem is in a drought, a lot of people will also harvest earlier because they don't have enough water. Yeah. And so they're saying, hey, I don't have enough water for another irrigation on my triticale. I normally would have harvested it in you know, May. I'm gonna harvest it, it at the end of March, uh, trying to save some water. And so it cuts both ways. Okay. Um, you know, if we had water, yeah, you know, they might be able to nest and be done nesting before you even, you know, would have harvested and, and it wouldn't have even affected a dairy. I, I would guess that it's going to create more conflicts that more people would be wanting to harvest sooner because of the water situation. Um, and so, you know, we're right back where we started. Definitely. Well, we'll pray for some good snow dump up in those mountains next week and hopefully improve that situation. But Good information, Paul. Um, if, if you're a producer who's had blackbirds before or your neighbors have, please keep up on our podcast, check out our newsletter this week and reach out if you have questions or concerns about how to handle those issues. Yep, and I'm always happy to answer questions um, if dairy producers have them on this issue. Awesome. Okay, Paul, well, the other issue we wanna talk about today, um, you were on the phone this morning for training for the AMP program. We've covered that a few times on the podcast, but um, I thought maybe you just would have a little more info to share after doing the training today um, and in gearing up for the application period. Yep, yeah, we've you know had uh, podcasts on this before and we've been anticipating this happening, but I've got a little bit of additional information that I thought I'd share with our members. Uh, it's always useful. There's a lot of interest in this program. Uh, Western United Dairies is a technical service provider with CDFA and so they provide training and I uh, got some additional information that I want to share. So CDFA will be opening up the AMP and digester applications soon. Uh, they're looking at a 60 day application period. So beginning sometime in early March, going through early May. Uh, it gives producers a little bit more time than typical um, to get their applications done, which is a good thing. Um, 
the funding legislation uh, that provided funding for uh, livestock methane emission reductions prioritized uh, AMP or the Alternative Manure Management Program over the Digester Program, uh, or it just provided some additional prioritization. So CDFA is increasing the amount of funding going to AMP to 40% of their available funding. Uh, in the past, it's been a range of like 25 to 35%. Uh, this year, they're looking to get at least 40% in AMP. So um, it will fund, typically, it funds about the same number of digester projects as it does AMP projects. This year, they're anticipating that there will be more AMP projects funded than digester projects. Uh, so that's uh, a positive thing for those that are applying for AMP, um, but it does mean less uh, digester funding for those that are interested in that. Um, what I learned this morning is that the application is gonna be very similar to past rounds uh, on the AMP program with only some minor changes, which is good. If somebody has submitted in the past and wasn't funded, you will be able to reuse a lot of what you have done in the past. There's not gonna be major changes to that. Uh, although there have been some changes, minor uh, and some improvements to the application. Um, if, you, you know, if you're familiar with it, it should be pretty easy to pick up. Um, we have had a um, significant number of dairies that have been interested in this and working with us. Uh, and so if somebody is interested in getting assistance from, from us, uh, they, they need to let us know sooner rather than later. My list is uh, filling up and approaching capacity. I've had quite a few of your members uh, on the North Coast, Melissa, yeah. reaching out to me. Um, again, a lot of interest in this program because it, it, it works you know, so well for those that have been awarded the grant funding. Yes. Yeah, and as we talked to Dave Renner a couple of weeks ago, it, it's there are a little few challenges here and there, but really it's a pretty smooth process. And CDFA has been really awesome to work with both during the application process and once grants are awarded. So it's so worth checking into. Um, it does take some time, but if you have a project in mind that you think could fit into AMP funding, um, contact us. I know the local NRCS and RCDs are working with folks as well. So please reach out. Um, I know we're filling up here pretty quick, Paul, and it, it's opening pretty soon. So trying to have something that's close to shovel ready, but um, at least have some good plans laid out. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, I mean, a part of that, how you get started is I would suggest getting um, a design and bids on your project as soon as possible. I mean, that really can't wait. You need to figure out you know, what you want, where it's gonna go on your dairy, get a drawing of it. Um, and, you know, speaking of that drawing, CDFA is making available a mapping tool uh, as part of the application to help. Um, you know, sometimes I'll get, you know, engineer drawings if somebody's, you know, building something on their dairy, a vendor or uh, an engineer will provide drawings. But if not, there is now a, a tool that's part of the application that you can draw up um, you know, what your facility looks like beforehand and what it looks like with the changes um, that you're suggesting in your application uh, to help CDFA get a better picture of the uh, grant. So that's a great thing to have as a, you know, a helpful tool uh, in your application. Yeah. Um, but getting those bids, uh, you know, figuring out what you want and getting those bids, because that information feeds into a lot of the rest of the application. I have already been, and, you know, on the previous pods, uh, I think I've been saying that, um, okay. you know, get connected with the vendors, uh, get bids, figure out, you know, what model of equipment you want or whatever it is and where it's going to go on the dairy, how big, how, um, you know, do you want wood or steel or, uh, you know, model X or model Y, uh, whatever technology you're getting, uh, you know, it's, it's time to get that stuff and get those bids in. And then something that also happens in my experience is um, the vendors get overwhelmed 
you know, you get a few weeks into the application process and, you know, they've got their phones ringing off the hook and they take a certain number of people and they say, hey, we can't handle anymore because, you know, we're making bids for, you know, 30 dairies for separators right. uh, and they will cut that off. And so, you know, get in there soon so that you, you know, you have their attention and their time uh, and they're able to help you in addition to us being able to help. Definitely. And if you're just hearing about this for the first time or you haven't really thought about it, maybe this isn't the year to apply, but I think there's going to be additional opportunities and just stay in touch with us. We're happy to come out and walk around the dairy with you. I've, I've been out to some dairies with NRCS. They're a great tool for helping to plan um, projects and also get some co-funding, which is really helpful. So, you know, it, it doesn't have to be this year, but if you have a, a shovel ready project and you haven't reached out to us, please do. And we'll try our best to get you on our list. Yeah, so that's a good point, Melissa. The applications are very competitive. Um, you know, if you find out about this two weeks before the deadline, the odds that you are able to put together a competitive application that's going to get funded is very low. Uh, just because, you know, there is so much to it and there's things that take time. You know, for example, having building permits in hand gives you more points and gives you a leg up on other uh, dairies that don't have their building permits in hand. And you can't do that with two weeks of time uh, the government agencies just don't move that quickly. No. However, the advantage we have here uh, that we've never had in the past is that we know that there was two years worth of funding allocated with this um, budget. And so yeah. we know there will be another round of funding. So that's a good point. If, you know, for some reason you're not quite ready, um, I still think there's time if you you know are listening to this podcast uh, when it comes out, uh, there's still time to put together an application definitely because it's going to be at least a 60 day period. But, you know, if you're, one or two weeks before the deadline, that's probably not going to cut it. But I, you know, I can tell you there is going to be another round of funding. You know, there's funds set aside for an, another round after this one. Um, I've had people, you know, throw together not very good applications. Sometimes they come, you know, two weeks before the deadline, they throw something together, they get some feedback from CDFA on this round. And then when it goes into the next round, you can use all of that and the feedback that you got from CDFA and strengthen your application. And I've had several cases where those folks have gotten funded in that second time once they've, um, you know, they've, they've already done it once, they got some feedback, they have time to polish that. Um, yes. And so that is a, another way that you can do it. Absolutely. Yep. And it, the feedback sometimes isn't a lot, but it, it has been really helpful for producers in the past. Yeah. So yeah, just reach out with questions. We're happy to answer them and work with you. I'm going to attend the same training next week. So um, I'm really excited for the map making. That's, you know, one thing we don't have to reach out to vendors to wait for um, to to build some maps into the application. So it's going to be a it's going to be a busy March, but I think it's going to be really exciting to see um, some good projects get started over the summer. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's probably going to be later than the summer because over the summer they'll be ranking them. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Fall, it, we'll know, say. This, this takes a while. So um, it does take a while, but $750,000 with no cost match required, um, that's part of what makes this really popular with dairy producers. So you've got to put up with a little bit of, um, you know, you might be ready to build um, in July and you think I submitted my application two or three months ago, it should be ready to go, but that's not the case. You, you've got to, you know, it's on government timelines and that's just part of the process. Yeah, definitely. Well, Paul, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for the good information. Again, if you have questions about the tricolored blackbirds in your area or your AMP applications or, or just anything related to um, our work in the environmental arena, regulatory arena, please reach out. Paul is such a wealth of information and thanks for being here today, Paul. 
Yeah, anytime. Thank you for having me. Did you know that you can turn your dairy manure into cash? Bennett Environmental is offering above-ground dairy digesters at no cost to you. These systems can also remove nitrates from your lagoons to help you comply with water board regulations. Our proven above-ground technology will generate income for your dairy into the foreseeable future. Because we truck the renewable natural gas off-site, your dairy can profit regardless of your location. Bennett Environmental, turning your wastewater liabilities into sustainable assets. Learn more at bennett-environmental.com. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Seen and Heard, industry updates for the modern dairy family. And a special thanks to our contributors this week, Tiffany Lamandola and Paul Souza. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing to Seen and Heard on your favorite podcasting platform. And if you have questions, comments, or content requests, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can send an email to Melissa Lima, M-L-E-M-A at wudairies.com, or Darby Toth, D-A-R-B-Y at wudairies.com, or you can email the office at info at wudairies.com. Thanks for listening in. We hope you have a great week. While West United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the West United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies' generous business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at w-u-d-a-i-r-i-e-s dot com.